the 27th chapter. We're going to read verse 9 down through verse 32. I told you it was a lot, so bear with me. Here's what the Bible says. It says, Now when much time had been spent, and sailing was now dangerous, because the fast was already over, Paul advised them, saying, Men, I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss, not only of the cargo and ship, but also of our lives. Nevertheless, the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman and the owner of the ship than by the things spoken by Paul. And because the harbor was not suitable to, uh, to winter in, the majority advised to set sail from there also, if by any means they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, opening towards the southwest and the northwest, and they could winter there. But when the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their desire, putting out to sea, they sailed close to Crete. But not long after... A tempestuous wind, a headwind arose called a Eurocladon. And when the ship was caught and could not head into the wind, we let her drive. And running under the shelter of the island called Claudia, we secured the skiff with difficulty. When they had taken it on board, they used cables to undergird the ship. And fearing lest they should run aground on Syrtis sands, they struck sail and so they were driven. And because uh, they were ex they ex exceedingly tempest-tossed the next day that they lightened the ship. In other words, they got rid of some cargo. On the third day, we threw the ship's tackle overboard with our own hands. And now when sun, neither the stars appeared for many days, no small tempest beat on us. All hope that we would be saved was finally given up. But after a long abstinence from food... Then Paul stood in the midst of them and said, Men, you should have listened to me, I told you so, and not have sailed from Crete and incurred disaster and loss. But now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For there stood by me this night an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul, for you must stand before Caesar. And indeed, God has granted you and all those who sail with you. Therefore, take heart, men, for I believe that uh, I believe God that it will be just as it was told to me. However, we must run aground on a certain island. And now when the 14th night had come and we were driven up and down in the Adriatic Sea, about midnight, the sailors sensed that they were drawing near to some land. And when they, they uh, took surroundings and found it to be 20 fathoms, and when they had gone a little further, they took surroundings again and took it to 15 fathoms. Then fearing lest we should run around on the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern, and they prayed for the day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship, when they had let down the skiff into the sea, under pretense of putting out anchors from the prow, Paul said to the centurions and the soldiers, Unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the skiff, and they let it fall off. Father, thank you again for your word tonight. Speak to our hearts and give us ears to hear. In the name of Jesus, amen. Uh, tonight, from Acts 27, 9 through 32, I want to talk to you uh, from the subject, uh, Anchored in the Will of God. Anchored in the Will of God. As I was thinking about this and I was pondering about this, just kind of the progression of how we've gone through Acts for several months now, looking at the day of Pentecost, from the foundation of the church all the way forward, just looking at all of this, it's been making me realize how the plan of God unfolds. Do you know that when circumstances in life happen to us, oftentimes our perception is limited by what we can immediately sense, immediately perceive, and immediately feel. In other words, when we are going through life and difficult times pop up, 
storm clouds begin to roll over us, uh, oftentimes we begin to think, well, it must be the end of the world. And really, it's not the end of the world, but it's the end of the world to us, right? Because it's affecting us. It's affecting our house. It's affecting our kids. It's affecting our marriage. It's affecting our finances. But I want you to know something tonight, that God's big picture is so much bigger than any of us could ever comprehend. Let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever flown on an airplane before? Come on, let me see your hand. All right, I'm going to take this a step further. I'm going to see how many aviation uh, enthusiasts we have in the room. Now, if anybody raised your hand, I might jump up and down and holler. So, how many of you have ever rode in a hot, hot air balloon, a weather balloon? Woo! Come on, that's exciting right there. I don't have that much guts. I, I thought about it one time, and I said, no, 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 no. If, 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 uh-uh. I'm not going to say what I was going to think I was going to say just a moment ago, but I just had a whole bunch of bad thoughts. I'm going to let that pass on through and cast that imagination down. Amen. But when you get up above atmosphere and you look down upon the earth for those of you who have ever been some feet in the air would you not agree with me that that which used to seem so big now seems so little I mean it's always amazing taken out of Will Rogers Airport whether I'm going to Dallas or Houston or whatever and you look around and you look and you see the city and you, you, the, air, the airplane's taken off. And then it just seems like you just get out five minutes and you turn around and look and it's just nothing. Just a little blip on the map. And that's the way our problems are sometimes. When we go through difficulties, when we go through heartaches, when we go through seasons of life, we feel like everything is closing in on us. The end of the world is near. All of these different things. But what we don't realize is, is that though hard times may come, and they will, Scripture says they will, though hard times do come, you can survive any storm if you're anchored in the will of God. You can survive any storm if you're anchored in the will of God. You see, I don't care. Pick your favorite destination. I don't care if it's Hawaii. I don't care if it's um, uh, Cabos in, in Mexico. I don't care uh, if it's the Swiss Alps and you're into skiing and that type of thing. It doesn't matter what the geographical location you may be, how beautiful it is, how, how majestic it looks, how much peace it brings to your heart. I want you to know something tonight. This is the absolute gospel truth. You can take this check to the bank and you can cash it and it will not bounce. Here's the truth. The safest place that a person can ever be is smack dab in the center of the will of God. Now the question is, does the will of God always look pretty? The answer, my friend, is no. Let's ask Jesus, who was smack dab in the middle of the will of God. Cross was painful. Cross was heavy. I'm, I'm thinking of a, of a crab family song right now. He never promised the cross would not be heavy and the hill wouldn't be hard to climb. I'm thinking of, I'm thinking of Stephen the first martyr of the church, right smack dab in the middle of the will of God. But the safest place that you and I could be in our lives is in the middle of the will of God. Now, we have made the will of God some ethereal, mysterious thing. People say, how can I know the will of God? 
Every time I talk to a young person and they're trying to figure out what they want to do with their life, I, when I was a youth pastor, I got this question all the time. said, hey, what do you want to go to college for? What are you looking to do when you grow up? And, and this question from the church kids always come up. Well, how do I know what the will of God is? And there are a lot of different ways for us to gauge what, what are the will of God, what's the will of God for our life. There are some things that are without question. There are some things that are plain in the Scripture for all of us, right? How many of you agree with that? Can I give you an example? The Bible says men ought to always pray without ceasing. That is the will of God. You do not have to pray, whether it be the will of God for you to pray. In fact, let me just burst your sacred cow bubble here. There's no special ministry of prayer. We're like, oh, they're called to pray. Come on now. Everybody's called to pray. There are some people that, be- that are better at it because they do it more. Right? Come on. Intercession is not like the 10th spiritual gift. I believe there are intercessors, but that's because those are people who pray. We're all called to give. We're all called to serve. We're all called to witness. We're all, listen, the Bible says, men, listen to me, if a man don't work, shouldn't eat. Now, the thing is, is that the Bible doesn't tell you where to work. That would be easy. I want you to work at the hospital, okay? I want you to sell tractors, I want you to be a nurse. I want you to be a pastor. Now, the Bible doesn't necessarily say all of those things, but there is the revealed will of God in Scripture that all of us know we do these things, that we are walking in the will of God. Then there is the, what what we call, there is the revealed will of God in Scripture. Then there's the revealed will of God from the Holy Spirit. That's when you say, okay, God, I know that I'm supposed to work. Where am I supposed to work? And then the Holy Spirit starts leading you, or he starts talking to you, or maybe, maybe he uses somebody spiritual in your life or an authority figure or like a parent or a teacher, and God begins to give you insight and wisdom. So I begin to think about the Apostle Paul. This is what I taught the, the inmates last night. I taught them from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, some of Paul's life. Paul, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he says, And this tabernacle, this house, though it be destroyed, he says, We have a building that is not made with the hands of man. In the heavens, Paul's referring to his flesh. He said, This house, this was the title of my message last night. I had no notes. These guys were pulling the preach out of me for an hour and a half. With no notes. This house is not my home. Paul was in the war, right? I would that I would be with with you, but then I want to be with Jesus. There's a war of the spirit. There's a war of the flesh. Paul said to be absent with the body is to be present with the Lord. And to be here, I'm with you and I'm betwixt between both worlds. Paul had this wrestling match. That's because Paul spent his whole life fulfilling the will of God. And what we're about to see Tonight and tomorrow is not the end of Paul's story, but it's the end of it in the book of Acts. 
And we're going to see the book of Acts uh, ends at chapter 28. And Paul ends up at Rome. And then in, in our Bible, the next book we have is Romans. Because Paul wrote that book to the church at Rome. Then we have Galatians. And we have Ephesians. We've got all of these books. Because Paul is walking in the will of God. But here's what I want you to know. Just because you're in the will of God does not mean you won't have trouble. You know, some people, some people think that if God tells you to do something, it's just going to be easy. Now, God will give you grace to endure. God will give you grace to carry on. God will give you grace to persevere. But I can promise you, Anything that Paul, Peter, Jesus, or any other disciples did, it was not easy. In fact, Paul makes a statement. He said, a great and effectual door has been opened unto me. But on the other side of it, there are many adversaries. Everywhere Paul went to preach, he made somebody mad. They threw him in prison. Uh, whatever, boom, ba-boom, ba-boom, ba-boom. And, you know, really Jesus had the same stuff happen. Everywhere he went, they tried to kill him. But you know the scripture says Jesus just passed through the crowd? Why? Because his time was not yet. His time was not yet. You know, the enemy will try to take you out before you fulfill the purpose of God in your life. But you have to walk in step with him, and you have to walk with the Lord. And I believe that when a man or a woman walks with God, they, they, as long as they're walking with God, they will fulfill the purpose that God has for their life. The problem is, is so many people walk around aimlessly in life, never knowing what their purpose is. Everybody, somebody say everybody. Everybody has a purpose. Now, your purpose may not be to do what I'm doing, but your purpose is not any less significant. It's not any less significant because when you stand before the judgment of Christ, like Paul talked about in 2 Corinthians 5, when he says, this house is going to pass away and to be absent with the body. Therefore, we strive to live pleasing towards him because we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And we're going to give an account for the things which we have done in our body. Now, Paul just got done telling us in 2 Corinthians 5 that the body doesn't matter in eternity because you're going to get a new body. He talked about that. But he did say, what you did with the body will matter for eternity. So there's a paradigm there. But I want you to notice this. Paul had gone from place to place, spreading the gospel, having encounters with God, encounters with people. They wanted to kill him. And now Paul finds himself getting ready to be expedited to Rome. After all, that's where he really wanted to go because God had given him a word that he would go to Rome. And I want to track with this for a few moments tonight before I just get too, too much out of the way because it does seem like life can give us detours. And we might, we might be saying, Lord, you called me to this and this is over here, but it looks like I'm over here. Anybody ever felt like you were uh, two steps forward and three steps back? Yeah, we've all felt like that. But do you know that if you just keep walking with the Lord, even if it seems like you get off the path a little bit, He can get you right back on the path. Now, they're getting ready to go. I'm going to catch you up to speed here. 
And they're getting ready to sail off towards Rome. All of these experienced seamen, uh, these, these um, old-time Navy people that set sail, they're all out there getting ready to get on the boat with Paul. Paul has a check in his spirit. Guys, I don't think we need to do this. This something doesn't seem right. I'm not saying that it was a word from the Lord or anything like that, because Paul later on goes to tell us that the, the, the angel of the Lord told him something contrary. But Paul, just observing everything, he says, guys, I, I, I don't, I just, I don't know. How, how many of you have ever gotten to a place where you were getting ready to go somewhere and you just had a bad feeling? We call it a gut check. We call it a red flag. We call it a check. I don't know. But you have a bad feeling. Paul said, uh, I, I don't know. I, I just don't really feel like we need to go in this direction. And the guys, the Bible says they looked around and they were looking at the sky. And when the south wind began to blow softly, it gave them a false assurance of peace. And they said, we'll just push off. There were 260-something men on this boat with Paul. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, the Bible says the south wind began to blow softly. And then out of nowhere, a vehement, violent storm began to come upon the boat and beat against the boat. And it was a, the Bible calls it a Eurachlodon. If you look that up, it's like an isolated hurricane. It came out of nowhere and just began to beat the bow of the boat. And they're going crazy. They're trying to figure this out. Paul's trying to tell them, guys, I just don't think this is good. They are throwing stuff off of the boat, trying to lighten the load. And, and the, the waves are bashing. And the storm clouds are literally so heavy that the Bible says for 14 days, they were in complete darkness. Their food, they've thrown it over. They're on an involuntary fast. They don't have much. Later at the end of the 14 days, they find a loaf of bread somewhere. How it wasn't soggy, I don't know. And Paul broke bread with them, and they prayed together. But the truth is, is that, that in the middle of all of this, the Lord comes to Paul and gives him some assurance that Paul, even though you're in the middle of this storm, you're not by yourself you will finish, fulfill the will of God for your life. I want to just walk through this really quickly tonight. If you're taking notes or you're looking at my notes online or on our church app tonight, which by the way, if you're new, all of my notes are on that app. You can go look at them. Uh, the first one that I want to look at tonight, number one, when Paul said it says he let out, they let out four anchors. And I said, Lord, let, let me look at this because there are four things that I see in Acts 27 that serve as anchors for us in the middle of a storm. And the first one is this. Number one, if we're in a storm, we can be anchored in his presence. That storm might have felt like they were alone. It might have felt like they were isolated. Might have felt like they had been forsaken and forgotten. But the truth is, is that in the middle of the night, the Lord, as he had done so faithfully before, sent an angel in the middle of the night to his servant Paul and stood beside him and said, Paul, there will be no loss of life on this ship. I want you to imagine what the comfort of this angel, this messenger of the Lord, what, what, what comfort that this must have brought to Paul's heart. 
as he was going through this very, very wearisome time. You know there was tension on the boat. You know there was because in the first couple of verses, Paul tells them, I told you. You know, men, come on, let me talk to us men, folks. We don't like to read directions, and we don't like to follow other people's directions. So I know there was some tension on that boat. After all, we're not going to listen to some prisoner. You know, we're in control of him. He's not in control of us. And the angel of the Lord comes and gives Paul a word. And they're encapsulated by his presence. You know, here's what, here's what we have to realize. God is always with us. You, you, you need to know that. The scripture says that I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. And then, he, then another place he goes on to say, he says, Lo, I will be with you always, even unto the end of the age. In fact, when the Holy Spirit was given at the day of Pentecost, he will be here through the very end. So in that sense, you need to understand God is always with us. Okay? Now, this messes with some people's minds. But God is in every bar. He's in every honky-tonk. He's in every brothel. He's in every illicit place. You say, I don't think God would go there. Listen, he's omnipresent. He can go anywhere he wants to. He's not limited by jurisdiction. He's not limited by sinful actions. Now, I know what people say when they say things like that, but the truth is God is everywhere at all times. He, he, is, he is in China right now while he's here in Oklahoma. And while he's in Oklahoma, he's in Iran. And while he's in Iran, he's in a far-flung village somewhere where people have never heard the name of Jesus yet, preparing those people for the moment when somebody comes to reach them. God is everywhere. So we know that he is always with us. But listen to this. Even though we know he is always with us, there are times where we need to know that he's with us. Amen? That's where we start talking about the manifested presence of God. You know, every time I walk in this sanctuary, I don't want to just fall out. But there are some times where I feel God's presence and I get a little weak in the knees. That's the difference between the abiding presence, the omnipresence, and the manifested presence of God. We can be anchored in the middle of our storm by knowing that the Lord indeed is with us. So I want you to know tonight that no matter what type of storm you go through, we can rest assured as Christians that we are never there alone. He's always with us. Here's the second thing that I see that we can be anchored in. Not only can we be anchored in His presence, but... You know, I like to alliterate things. Number two, because they're easy to remember. We can be anchored in His promise. In His promise. Now, let me just tell you, God's promises are yes and they're amen. Right? The Bible is very clear about God's character. Numbers 23, 19 is one of my, one of my favorite verses. I quote it all the time. It's one of the very first verses aside from John three sixteen in the Romans Road Salvation Scriptures that I memorized. Numbers 23, 19 says, God is not a man that he should lie. Neither is he the son of a man that he should repent. If has he not spoken it, shall he also not bring it to pass? 
God's character is one of trustworthiness and faithfulness. Listen, I'm telling you, and I just believe this, there are some things that, that are in the Scripture that are, are conditional. God says, if you do this, I will do this. But they are very clear that they're conditional. But if God says something to, to you or through His Word, let me just tell you something. The Bible says, let God be true and every man be a liar. Amen? If I have to pick, if God lied or man lied, I'm picking man every stinking single time. Because David wrote in Psalms, all men are liars. Talking about the deceitful wickedness of the unregenerated heart. God cannot lie. It is not in his character to do so. But how many of you know, you can know God's promise, but in the middle of your storm, we can be so overwhelmed by the darkness that envelops us that it doesn't hurt to be reminded of God's promise. It doesn't hurt to be reminded of his promise. And all of a sudden, Paul can be encouraged because in verse number 24, Paul says that the angel of the Lord says, Paul, there will be no loss of life because you must stand before Caesar. You know what the angel was saying? Paul, this storm looks really bad right now. And I know that you're moved by it because you can't see your finger in front of your face. It's dark. These men are all mad at each other. Everybody's afraid. But Paul, you have an appointment with the will of God. And the same God that preserves you in prison. And the same God that preserves you when they tried to stone you and kill you. is the same God that's going to make you arrive safely at your final destination. Now the angel comes and reiterates that. But what you've got to realize is that in Acts chapter 23, we'd already covered this before. In Acts chapter 23 verse 11, the, the Lord had already given him another visitation word and said, Paul, you will stand in Rome. You know, it comforts us. It anchors us when we're reminded of God's promises. When you're having storms of health issues and it seems like all you can see is the darkness of the doctor's report and all you can see is the darkness of the, of the, of the illness, you need to be reminded of God's promises. When our children seem to be living contrary to the doctrine and teachings that we have taught them, we got to hold on to God's promise. Train up a child in the way they should go. And when they're old, they will not depart from it. You, you have to hold fast to the promises of God and be reminded of them from time to time. I'm so thankful that in a moment where God could have chosen to be silent, he stepped into the middle of the storm to remind Paul, Paul, I got this. You're going to be all right. You're going to make it. Here's the third thing. Not only can we be anchored in his promise, but we can be anchored in his providence. Providence is a big word. We don't use it a lot anymore today. But the word providence, as it relates to the Scripture, simply means this in its context. It means that God is aware of our situation. We know 
we have to know that God can see us. You know, because when we're going through difficult times, we can, we can think sometimes in our heart that God has forsaken us, He's abandoned us, He has forgotten all about us. But let me just remind you, in the Gospel of Matthew, whenever Jesus is talking, and He talks about how our Father knows the very numbers of the very hairs on our head. In my case, the lack thereof. God knows every minuscule, minute, small detail about our lives. You have to rest in the providence of God that God, you see me. I know that you can see me. And if you see me, I know that you've not forsaken me. You know, there's a name in Scripture. A lot of us, I've never heard a lot of people quote it. There's a lot of names in the Bible. And I've taught on several of these through the years. But, you know, they're what we call the redemptive names of God. Of course, you know, uh, God's name in Hebrew can be translated as Jehovah or Yahweh. Uh, uh, Jesus' name transliterated was Yeshua, where we get Jesus from uh, in our language. But there are many different names that God revealed himself as in Scripture. One of those happens to be when Abraham and Isaac were going up to the mountain for Abraham to sacrifice his son. And Abraham and Isaac are walking and, and, and Isaac says, Father, I see the wood and I see the fire, but where's the sacrifice? And he said, the Lord, uh, the Lord God will provide himself a sacrifice. They get there, a lamb comes out in the thicket and Abraham says, Jehovah, the Lord who provides there was another time he was called Jehovah Rapha, the Lord our healer. But there's another little one that's got a big impact that's found in the Old Testament as well. When Hezekiah and the, the, the people of God were in battle, and Hezekiah said, Lord, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. The Bible says that in that day he was called Jehovah Rohi. The Lord who sees. You've got to know that He sees you. And that you have to trust in His providential plan that He has for your life. That God sees you. He knows you. He has your address. Listen, the IRS may not can find you. The FBI may not be able to find you. Your mother-in-law may not be able to find you. But God has no problem finding you. Yeah, I know he asked Adam, where are you? But that's because he wanted Adam to admit, not because God was lost. Got to be anchored in his providence. Number four, and I'm closing with this. Not only were we anchored in his providence, but number four, we can be anchored in his performance. What do I mean by that? God's got a pretty good track record. Now, we've got more of the Bible available to us than Paul had, even though Paul was writing it as he was living it. And maybe didn't even realize he was writing it as he was living it. And where Paul may not have had the amount of Scripture that we have today, Paul could easily look back at the testimony of Daniel, David, look back at the testimony of, uh, 
of God's faithfulness to deliver the people of God from Sodom and Gomorrah. He could, he could look at um, God's faithfulness of bringing the children of Israel through uh, the Egyptian wilderness. He could look at all of those things and realize God's performance has a five-star rating. You know, when you, when you go to looking at cars, right, and, and, and you want to look at the models and how they did in the crash test and how they did, uh, you know, with the airbags deploying and how they did, you know, with their brakes and, and uh, under the various conditions that they have to test these cars at before they release them on the market. You know, they, this one has a three-star. It has a three-and-a-half-star. How many you know you want a five-star if you can help it? God's got a five-star rating. There's no improvement on God's rating. It's perfect. His testimonies are true. And Paul had to realize that in the middle of it, God was going to get him exactly where he needed to be. And I felt like, as I was studying for this this week, that I just needed to encourage somebody who maybe perhaps you feel like God, is this really the will of God for my life? Don't you see what I've gone through? Now listen, this leads me to a good point. This is going to blow some theological gaskets here, so I hope you've got some, some quick seal to hold yourself together. This is going to throw you for a loop because it's, it's hard to grasp. Just because you're in the will of God doesn't mean everything that happens to you is the will of God. You know, these guys jumped in the boat when they probably shouldn't have. But aren't you glad that God can still get you back where He needs to be? Even though it might be a bumpy ride. You don't believe me? I have more Bible for you. And I have not enough time. But I have more Bible. Ask Jonah if God can get you back on track. Ask Peter if God can get you back on track. I'm telling you, if you just say, Lord, I missed it. Get me back. He'll just jump you right back on. Listen, I'm telling you, I have been in some areas of town and in other places. And I'm telling you, in Africa, if you get off the main road, you are in for a bumpy ride. Now, it doesn't mean you can't get back to where you need to go, but you might be beat half to death before you get there. And that's the way it is. We're going to find out next week when Paul, that boat finally washed up on the Isle of Malta. Paul goes, man, I'm, I'm, I'm safe at shore. Man, they're, they're just wiping their brow and they're trying to dry their clothes off. And no sooner than they get them a, a hot biscuit and a piece of fish. Amen. A snake jumps out of the fire and fights Paul. You know what? He might have been bruised, beaten, and battered, but he still made it. And I got word for you, you're going to make it too, amen? Don't be discouraged by what you're going through. Sometimes storms happen because they're demonic. Sometimes storms happen because they just happen because we, we reap seeds that we sow, and sometimes we reap seeds that other people sow. But nonetheless, God can still get us through the storm safely to where we need to be. Amen? So I want to encourage you. You can be anchored in the storm by trusting in God's promises, His presence, His providence, and His performance. You can close your Bible. Stand up. Let me pray for you tonight.